Welcome to Practically Speaking from the editors of Practical Dermatology Magazine. I'm your host, Todd Schlesinger. In this edition of Practically Speaking, Dr. Hassan Galadari shares a global perspective on cosmetic injectables. Dr. Galadari, a private practice dermatologist in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, is a researcher and cosmetic dermatology specialist. He is recognized as an international expert on fillers and cosmetic interventions. Dr. Schlesinger, a private practice dermatologist and researcher in Charleston, South Carolina, is well-versed in cosmetics. Before talking about unique injection techniques and tools and products on the horizon, Dr. Schlesinger kicked off the conversation by asking Dr. Galadari about the staggering number of hyaluronic acid-based injectables available in the United Arab Emirates. We have about 80 companies of hyaluronic acid fillers that are that are available there. There are the, the three major ones, for example, such as the ones that are produced by Allergan and the ones produced by Galderma. And the other third one, which you guys should be getting very, very soon, is the one that, that is produced by TXN Laboratories. And uh, they're going to be distributed here by Alpheon. So, um, so for example, if you look at the, the different types of hyaluronic acid fillers that we do have, like Voluma, for example, which was just recently approved here in the United States, was approved many, many years ago back. We're we talking about, I've been using it for the past maybe five or six years. So it's a little bit different uh, in terms of uh, availability. You will get it eventually. It just takes a little bit more time for you guys to get it. And I'm, I'm quite happy to see that there are more fillers that are going to, popping up here in the United States. And the, the beauty of it is that you guys then don't have to kind of like, I don't want to call it compound fillers, but kind of modify them, you know, make them a little bit softer, for example, if you wanted to inject them into the T-traps, because those specialized type of fillers are readily available outside the United States. And we're talking as close as Canada, and they will be available hopefully very, very soon. Uh, Dr. Galadari, can you tell me what are the key differences in the regulatory environment there versus here? Why do you, for example, have uh, 80 products where we may have 20 products? Uh -huh. um, I think it's just basically has to do with the FDA. Uh, most of the products uh, that we that we do get are all of them are produced in Europe. So they are EU or CE approved. Now the CE approval uh, for you to get that, it's a little bit less uh, stringent, for example, than that of the FDA. The FDA requires a little bit more for clinical trials that are that, are, that needs to be published and needs to be produced as compared to the CE. CE more or less looks at safety and you know it might look at the you know clinical trial indications for some so some types of fillers. But um, and that's that's the only reason why it's just basically the regulatory approval areas uh, in Europe is slightly different than that of the United States. Um, for us, you know, we're a country that does not produce any fillers, but we do. We are receptive to, uh, for them. If it is CE approved, it has to undergo through registration process by the Ministry of Health as a medical device. And uh, once it gets approval by the Ministry of Health, then you know it's out in the market. Um, of course, it does require to, for it uh, for it to fulfill certain criteria for it to be registered. But once it does, um, you know that's the reason why we you know have a, a little bit more number of fillers than, for example, in that in the United States. So uh, tell me a little bit more about Tioxane that we're going to see coming up in the United States here with Alfion. We've heard a lot about it, mm -hmm. uh, but it's somewhat of a mystery, I think, to some some of us. <laughs> yeah, Tioxane. Now, Tioxane is, is is a very interesting product. Now. 
Uh, it, uh, the Tixon Labs f- started off, I would say, probably a little bit more than 10 years now. So it's about maybe 13 or 14 years uh, out in uh, Switzerland. Now, the uh, basically it was, you know, when, uh, when I first came back from the United States, when I, you know, I did my residency here and I, uh, when I first came back and, you know, we did not have, for example, like, you know, the Allergan product. I'm going like, Hmm, what's going on? How come we don't have the Allergan product? Then they told me like, oh, there's this Tioxine product, and it's a hyaluronic acid. When I first looked at it, it had it looked it felt and looked like exactly the same way that that than that of the Allergan at that point because uh, basically they, they shared an, a, a number of things historically. Even the uh, the person who uh, is running uh, the company uh, Tioxine Labs, uh, Madame uh, Valérie Topin, uh, used to work at one point for Corneal. Uh, which were the makers, basically, of uh, Sergiderm and Juvederm before, you know, it was taken up, uh, taken over by Allergan. So uh, they do have a, a number of fillers that are out. Um, you know, they have at least eight, and four more have just recently been approved. So they have a dozen. Uh, from those dozen, only four of them are going to be approved here in the United States, and they, are, they belong to the RHA family, known as the Resilient Hyaluronic Acid. So there's the RHA 1, 2, and 3, and, f- and 4. Uh, ba- they basically depend on uh, what type of, you know, line that they're going to be filling. So the volumizing one is going to be RHA4, and the one that's used for very fine, thin lines, for example, such as the barcode around the lips, is going to be RHA1. So um, that's basically it. I mean, and the nice thing about the RHA products is that the differences between them and the other products, they are a little bit stretchable, and that's why they called the resilient hyaluronic acids, meaning that uh, they're, they're fantastic for dynamic areas. Once they're injected, Patients can't feel that anything's actually inside their, you know, inside their skin. They, they can't feel the filler at all, especially if it's injected into the lips. Just because, you know, it's a, such a stretchable filler, it's, it's fantastic for dynamic areas, such as the lips and also the areas around the mouth and the eyes. And how, how is the rheology of the product? Does it flow easily yes. through, the, through the syringe? Yeah, it, it it has excellent. You know, the G prime for it is is you know is phenomenal, and it's it's not too stiff, so it's not really once it comes out, basically, you know, you don't you don't feel it like other products. So it's really not very very stiff in that sense. Uh, it's however, it's, it's quite uh, cohesive. So uh, the cohesivity gives it, gives it the effect of uh, the lifting capabilities, and that's the reason why you know that little uh, that little basically two aspects of things: the cohesivity, in addition to having um, a, a little bit of a difference in the G prime, will, which will allow it to have uh, more of a volumizing effect. For that, for example, in the RHA four line, the RHA one is very very thin. So uh, once it's injected, I mean, you can barely feel it, and it's really made for very, very superficial lines. Now, uh, will you be using uh, the tioxane filler for pan facial rejuvenation, for example? I yes, I do. Now, the, the, I kind of mix it with the with their old classic range, and unfortunately, I don't think that's going to be available here in the United States. Uh, it is available in Canada, so like you know, pe- you know. You or any, you know, uh, if you want to get experience out of it, basically you can try it out when, you know, if you, if you go to Canada or if any of your patients want to check that out. Uh, 
the, for example, the classic range is a little bit stiffer, for example, and provides much more volume as compared to the newer lines. The only reason why they did not want to kind of conform with the other one is just, is just basically because of the FDA. The FDA had issues with the older range, and that's the reason why they had to come up with a newer one to kind of uh, make up in terms of the schematics of it. So it was more or less a logistical uh, thing that they had to do rather than there was a problem with the filler itself. It wasn't that. It's just that, you know, they just had a huge selection. And for them to undergo all of these clinical trials to become FDA approved, they really had to kind of cut down on what they're going to be doing and, uh, you know, the type of products that they're going to be uh, registering here in the U.S. Uh, Dr. Galadari, I'd like to talk a little about uh, the regions that you're injecting. So this tioxane filler is, uh, seems like a uh, going to be a good choice for us because we have uh, we have four different choices at least mm-hmm. in the United States uh, on sort of a thickness of that filler for different areas. Tell me, kind of region by region, just mainly two or three areas. I mean, I'm thinking chair troughs. I'm thinking the nasal jugal fold, mm-hmm. maybe the central face area and cheeks. Tell me how you would incorporate that into uh, that kind of regimen. Okay, so let's let you know. I usually like to take the patient from uh, top to bottom. I mean, understandably, patients are not going to agree in, on all their face to be injected, and they would kind of try to prioritize things. But let, if you, for simplicity, let's take it from top to bottom. So you do if you have these horizontal forehead lines that they may not go away completely with neuromodulators such as botulinum toxin, and you want to fill them, you can definitely use something like an RHA one. And, you know, it's, it can be placed very, very superficially, does not require any modification with your lidocaine to make it even thinner because it's already thin. Uh, it's, the, the concentration of hyaluronic acid is only 50 milligrams there. Uh, once it's injected, it's, you know, it's very soft. Patients, you know, there, it doesn't cause any lumpiness or anything of that sort. And also, there's no chances of it developing a Tyndall effect, even though you're injecting it superficially. As a matter of fact, you should inject it superficially. And for you to realize that you are in the superficial plane is that you will notice a blanching effect as you're injecting. And the blanching effect that happens happens because of the stretching of the dermis. It has, it, you're not embolizing anything. So there's not a vessel that's being embolized and you're risking necrosis. No, it's just because the dermis is just being stressed just a little bit. And the minute you stop and you massage it, the, you know, the color comes back again. The, you know, the whole neurovascular, there's no neurovascular compromise at all. So I would use RHA1 in that area, in the forehead area. Now, if you go down a little bit and you reach the, uh, for example, the T-troughs and the periorbital area, you can use the exact same filler there in a very safe fashion. So you won't have any issues there because, like I said, it's a very soft product. The G-prime is quite low and also it is quite stretchable. And um, so you would use an RHA1 there. Uh, if you are going to be injecting the temples, which is, uh, you know, a little bit more on the lateral side, you are going to be injecting the deeper part of the temple. So I usually inject underneath the temporalis muscle. So I would want to use something that's a little bit thicker. So here I would use an RHA4. So uh, it provides you a little bit more of a volumizing effect uh, in that plane if you're going to be injecting it right underneath the temporalis muscle. Uh, for the cheeks, uh, you can also place your RHA4 there because, you know, you want to volumize your cheek and you want to make sure that you are in the correct plane. Usually, in the, the plane that we inject is the deeper fat plane. So you're going to be going to be in the SUF, which is the subarbicularis oculi fat. So that's where you're going to be injecting. Uh, for the nasolabial folds, if you are going to inject the nasolabial folds, I usually tend to inject them a little bit later on. I would use something like RHA3, depending on how deep they are. So if they're deep, I would use an RHA3. If they're a little bit more, um, not, not, not as deep, for example, if they're mild to moderate, I would use an RHA2. 
For the lips, you can go both ways. You can safely use RHA2 and RHA3 in the lips. If you want to volumize your lips, you would use RHA3. But if you want a, if you want, if you want a very natural, plumper-looking lip, especially if the patient was young, you can definitely use an RHA2 there without having any problems. And finally, for the marionette lines, it's the same thing. It follows the exact same thing as the nasolabial folds. So you definitely put in your RHA3 there. And for the jawline, you would use an RHA4, so a thicker product. So yes, you can definitely use the whole range for a panfacial rejuvenation. And will you be injecting superperiosteli in the cheek area or it sounds like you will be in the temple area in the spinoid yes. fossa, but mm -hmm. same thing in the cheek area and, and the and, maxilla? Yeah, and the, and the cheek and the maxillary area, like I said, I usually inject the deeper fat plane, so it's the deeper fat compartment, and I use, usually use a cannula, and I have to be right in the souf, so, um, which is basically the suburbicularis sub oculi fat compartment. So, that's, so you're quite deep. Uh, not necessarily, you don't necessarily need to go as deep into this, you know, the superperiosteal area. So it's not like the temples in which you kind of touch the bone and then you kind of pull up and then you inject. No, you don't really need to do that. Uh, just simply put, place in your cannula in the cheek, pinch the cheek so you know that you're going to go deep and that, that allows you for a deeper injection. Because if you stretch the cheek, you're going to be in the superficial fat compartment. If you are going to pinch the cheek, you're going to be in the deeper fat compartments. So pinch the cheek and then slowly push in your cannula and, you know, you're there. So you can easily inject your filler in, in that plane without having any problems. So you mentioned the cannula. What is your favorite uh, type of cannula? <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, brands, you mean? Brands, lengths, uh, you know, diameter gauge. Yeah. What, what is your preference? My, my workhorse, basically, is, is a 25-gauge cannula. And it's usually, uh, it depends on, like, you know, where I'm going to be injecting. But I, I can use the shorter ones, which is the 38 mm, or the longer ones, which are the 50 mm's. So uh, it all depends. But the 25-gauge cannula, which is the orange, the one that has the orange hub, that's the one that I tend to use. It's, it's basically my workhorse. Uh, there's the risk of you causing any shearing effect is pretty much negligible with a 25 gauge cannula. So you won't cause any major problems using it. It's blunt. It's not, it's not as sharp. Uh, you can use a 27 gauge if you're injecting just the tear troughs and you're not going to be injecting the, you know, the, the cheeks because the cheeks, the fillers required in the cheeks will not go through a 27 gauge cannula. They require a 25 gauge. So, but if you're only injecting the T-troughs, you can definitely get away with 27. I would not go beyond 27, so I would never inject using a 30 gauge. A 30 gauge is just like, you know, using a needle. So just basically counterintuitive. I mean, you're not doing anything if, uh, if you're using a 30 gauge cannula. It's like as if you're using a needle there and you still run the risk of causing, you know, vascular compromise there. So uh, these are the ones that t I tend to use. Uh, in terms of which brand, I personally enjoy the, t you know, the, uh, the TSK brand. So I tend to inject using those. Um, they're the, usually the Steriglide TSK. Um, I, the reason why I like them, I, I've used them all. And the reason why I like them, they, they still retain their shape uh, as they go in and out. So they don't kind of, you know, a, a number of the other ones are just too soft, too malleable. So you go in and if, if, it, if it feels any resistance, the cannula starts to kind of uh, becoming bent. And that, that causes an issue because you, then you don't know what plane you're, you're in. And you have to pull out, either change your cannula or kind of try to fix it and then push it back in again. The TSK does not allow me to do that. It's just, you know, more or less semi-rigid. So it's pretty good as I go in. It, it still retains its shape as I, as I do that. 
Dr. Galadari, I certainly have enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, this is a very interesting topic, and we have a lot to look forward to in the cosmetic arena. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, Todd.